Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Okay. Hi. I hope we're recording. This is the (laughs) official uh, first podcast for the Dr. Rod Show. And of course, I love that you're smiling because I can see you, though we're only doing audio for this one, but I always have a big smile on my face. And I'm very excited that I finally have a podcast after all these years. And I was thinking about who would be my first guest. Um, so I may be a little all over the place in the beginning because should I talk about the show? Should I interview the guests? It's really hard to say. So we'll kind of go through this together. But the Dr. Raj show, since this is the first one, is going to be, number one, fun. And number two, it's going to be talking about medical topics that are in society that are I feel important to bring to the forefront. And at the same time, we just want to actually get real perspective, whether it be from doctors, residents, patients, just people out there. So I want to be down to earth and fun and informative, which I hope is what I convey because that's what I believe in. So back now to my guest. So I always thought when you have a first show is that like, you know, a first comic book. So let's say you're reading Spider-Man. Everyone wants to know what is the origin of Spider-Man per se. So I thought we'll have a good like origin podcast of how I got to become Dr. Raj and do all one of the wonderful things to get a chance to do. And a big part of that was actually the person I'm going to be interviewing today. And her name is going to be Cassandra Hine, who is actually the first person when I did a small stint on a TV show, The Doctors, I got this Hollywood bug that bit me that wanted me to go back on again and do this and that. And Cassandra has always believed in me. She came and worked with me multiple times to help me develop my brand and how to reach people, both medical and non-medical. So we have a great story together. So I wanted Cassandra to be my first guest. She usually interviews me. So this is totally weird. I'm interviewing her, but once again, I'm talking too much. So let me introduce Cassandra. <laughs> Thank you. This is fun. I know. It's funny too, because, you know, through all the years that we have been working together, we really haven't really done much on camera together until COVID-19 started happening. And I, and I thought it was an interesting time. And I was like, we need to start talking about this. And so we started doing interviews together and that kind of became a normal thing. But yes, we have been working together for a long time. It's been super fun. You know, when I first met you, Dr. Raj, um, (laughs) you were actually, it was a, it was a referral through a friend who, you know, I'm in the industry. I do, I, 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 you know, help talent get on air and, you know, be on TV and help them with their confidence on camera. And, um, you know, we kind of had a meeting and you're I'm like, well, what do you want to accomplish? And you're like, you just like want it all, you know, you're ready to do whatever comes your way. So, you know, I've always appreciated that passion. And I think that, um, you know, it's been a definitely a good team that we've been, that we've created through the years and we have multiple projects going on. So I, I'm not, I'm couldn't be happier to be here. 
And it, let's be honest, I think it's been almost seven years we've been friends. It's yeah. almost seven years. And now that you mentioned the mutual friend, oh, I'll, I'll name drop. It was Aaron. Yeah. And it was so funny that you're totally right. I mean, I just had a blank moment right there. You know, you came over, you met me at USC. And you're right. You asked, what did I want to do? And I mean, just like this podcast, I couldn't shut up. I was telling you all the things I wanted to do. And you made my first website. And I remember you kind of trying to piece together my personality with what you thought would work well. And our website had a Star Wars feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't exist right. anymore. So don't go looking for it. But we had like almost a Star Wars website. And of course, that's the big geek in me. I'm like, yes, best website ever. And then yeah. I remember as we started getting more uh, professional and getting more offers and opportunities, you called me up and you're like, yeah, we need to change that website. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little too, a little too trekky, a little too dark. Yeah. You know? like, you know, we should have kept that. We people expect like the light and the brightness of like the, you know, the medical branding and, you know, but also the authenticity of that was, I appreciate that because I love taking talent that I work with and really going like, okay, you know, they're, they're a regular doctor, but they're really fun. You know, like Dr. Raj, you have your own personality. Like you want to really highlight what that authenticity is and allow you to be it, but then also highlight what you can do that may be a little bit more mainstream that not every doctor is that way. And I think that's the hard part because you have lots of clientele in different parts of medicine, you know, and it's that balance between, you know, what you need to be to an extent to be marketable, sellable, whatever the, the right word is. But at the same time, keeping your own personality, and that's really, really hard. And that's one of my little pearls of someone's watching today who wants to do media and TV and whatever it is. It's really hard to be yourself because it's easy to be yourself when you already are marketable. But in the beginning, it's hard. So I think yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, you kind of have to relearn how to be yourself on camera. <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like allow yourself to kind of like be yourself. And instead of feeling like, oh, I'm all the pressure is on me. And, you know, and now I have to deliver. But it's like, no, the reason why people love he- learning from you is because it is so easy to understand. And it is so um, fun. It's a fun experience for your students. And I think that goes a long way, you know? And I think that's why we teamed up and we worked so well together is because you let me be me, you know, even though you roll your eyes sometimes when I do things, but uh, it, it so far worked great. And I think that's what you need is to find that person out there that compliments you well. And with that being said, I mean, I want everyone to know, we just don't do media together. I mean, we do a lot of medical things together, which yeah. I, I kind of, it's my fault. I brought you in my world. I want you to stay there because <laughs> how many medical videos have we filmed together? And it's not because I want to plug anything, but I think I'm so proud that we actually have our own medical company to help people really succeed, become the best doctors. And I don't want to sell it short by saying it's a board review because it's so much more than that. But I think the education we do and how you actually enjoy doing it, I think, makes mm-hmm. me so happy, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. And, and just to let everybody know that is listening, we have been working on a lot of content together. And this most recent one that we're doing, we kind of, you know, we regrouped during COVID. I was not able to produce and direct the stuff that I usually was able to. I had to not go to New York and, you know, for a pilot that I was directing... Um, not do a bunch of other things. And so we had a great idea was, you know, and, and I had already been kind of pivoting the business because 
Dr. Raj has two platforms. You've got the Beyond the Pearls, and that's for the student, that's for the, the education. And then you have like the, you know, Dr. Raj entertainment brand, and you're great <laughs> on camera, but that's like kind of to the consumer, you know? And so we've been cultivating both of these platforms for, for some time. And so the Beyond the Pearls platform ended up, you know, I, I, I've been wanting to, you know, rebrand everything, not rebrand in, in a sense, but really bring it to the next level. And so I've been putting a lot of energy into the marketing and then creating a, you know, um, a quiz and then being able to take all that feedback and really create a course around the, the subject matters that are, um, you know, your students and your, the people that learn from you, your residents and everything. Like we really heard their feedback and created something that reflects um, how they can understand a course that not just a course, but kind of a library um, of information that's integrated that really can help people under these doctors to be understand these different subject matters in a way that integrates so seamlessly. And that's what you're so talented at. And you know what? It's amazing. You didn't you read that off a script. You just came up with that. I mean, that was, I mean, it almost sounds a little scripted, but that was awesome. But, so I was going to say what I do love about us in that exact project is that we just didn't target, you know, people in the United States. You know what I mean? Yeah. I am so happy to work with my USC students and everyone I interact with, but it makes me happy that you actually share the passion to help people in a lot of foreign countries that are millions of miles away from us. And you, like I said, every time I go to my Facebook now, I have people in countries I don't even know about <laughs> that are saying, hey, I, I, got, I took the quiz, I know what to do. And it just makes me really happy that because of you, uh, the thing, the message I wanted to tell everyone is not just stuck here in Southern California, but I'm telling you, it's in Asia, it's in Africa, it's in Europe. It, it's crazy. So well, yeah, and and to piggy off, to piggyback off of what you're saying, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been surveying people that are are wanting to become doctors in the United States. The ones that are really like, you know, they find you, and then they're so inspired by what you kind of put out there that they have been doing the surveys that we've been putting out there. And so reading these surveys, what, you know, what they're going through, you are loved by them. Let me just, <laughs> oh, they're, man. Like, they're like, Dr. Raj is so easy. <laughs> you know, a lot of these people are already doctors in their home countries. They and are. So they just need to learn how to pass the boards here. And so yep. I think what your unique ability is, is to really educate people who have art that are kind of there already and they're your peer you're treating them like peers as opposed to students that you know you're the professor you're the student you feel like that there's like the this um level playing field and that you're just giving your best because you do have passion to educate these people but they also really appreciate it because you're a friendly face that's not treating you know you're not treating them any lower not saying that other teachers do but you know what i'm saying that's I know. them and I think it's because of the fact that, you know, when I do these board review classes and I sit, I mean, I'm actually in front of the class and I teach them, I look into the audience and I would see a man or woman who's older than me, who looks wiser than me. And I'm teaching them to memorize this word or learn this mnemonic or, and you know, I, and part of me just wants to say, hey, share your knowledge with me. Because mm -hmm. I know that person has so much knowledge and it's because, you know, not to make this a, a sad moment, but, you know, they left their home country to better their children, to better their family, to get a better opportunity. And you're right. That big hurdle is these board exams that I'm sure if it was 10 years earlier, they would ace it just like that. But now it's like, hey, 
at a later stage in life, let's go back to medical school again. So when we do our, our, our things together, our videos together, this new company we have together, it makes me happy that we're actually helping people. So that it makes me feel like huge and warm and cuddly inside when I hear yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, you know? it's a big deal to both of us that we, yep. you know, we've always been in alignment with what our purpose is. And I think, you know, patient education, um, supporting people that are really trying to do their best to take that leg up in the world and they're doing it through this avenue. And I was, I would have never known about this population, you know, that segment of the population, but because I work with you and I've dedicated a lot of, you know, my resources and marketing and things to figuring out like, how can we best serve this population? And so as they respond and they're giving us details that I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, these three, you know, we are doing yeah. a, a really good thing by, you know, figuring out what they need and being able to create content that supports what they need. And that's, no, I agree. that's what we're dedicated to. So, and, you know, and, and so now I'm going to like switch gears a little bit because I could talk yeah. about this all day. I talk about anything all day. <laughs> <laughs> but what I, what I do want to talk about, because there is a medical vibe to the show, and trust me, yeah. there will be, is yeah. that, you know, when I look at you, I'm, I see the most healthiest person in the whole world. That's what I see. You know what I mean? In fact, yeah. every time I call you, you're always like riding your bike. You're actually <laughs> like doing some diet routine or something. Like, what? You make me feel like I'm not, you know, taking care of myself. But you do have a genetic disease that I already, before we did the podcast, asked if I could talk about it. And for the people who want a medical spin, there is something out there called hereditary angioedema. And before I, I, I throw it to Cassandra so she can talk about it, let me do the little teaching spiel really quick, which is when we think about angioedema, that there are two main subtypes. When you take the word angio, angio means vessels, edema means swelling. So you get swelling of these vessels called capillaries in the body. And, you know, some of these capillaries could be in not so good places like the lips, the mouth, the airway, causing a lot of swelling. And it could cause a lot of problems, including the big D word, death. And when we think about angioedema, the most common type is allergic, where something triggers it, you get skin rashes. And of course, there are certain therapies we think about for this allergic type, eating steroids and Benadryl and epinephrine, but not you and not your family. Hereditary angioedema, I hate saying it's rare when the person I'm talking to has it, but you know the traditional therapies we have for it won't save your life. The therapies that we have for it are, are very expensive, very rare, and it's hard to make a right diagnosis. It's often misdiagnosed many times until you actually have a life-threatening event. And I know you and your sister has it. So I will throw it back to you finally to say, when did you learn you have it? And can you tell me maybe a scary story about yourself or a loved one, meaning your sister or, or dad or mother, when they had a flare of it? Yeah, yeah. So it actually um, it derived from my dad's side. So my, okay. my dad's mother, or my grandmother from my dad's side, is the one that was the carrier of it. And um, you know, she had five children. When my dad was two and a half, he was just a toddler. Um, you know, she had a swelling episode. Her throat began to swell. And oh. back then, it was in the fifties. It was probably like, or maybe it was like nineteen sixty at that point. Okay. And um, and so you know, she. She had to go to the neighbor's house to give her a ride. And by the time she made it to the hospital, she died. Uh. 
Yeah. My God. And, and I didn't even know that. Yeah. And that's why I said the first presentation could be death, you know, and that's horrible. Yeah. But oh my yeah, God. no, yeah. absolutely. And and different people have, have it, um, have it more strong than others, you know, even right. like, so my dad had started getting signs of it actually when he was 21, I believe okay. the first time. And sure. that's like a full, that's a full on story. Um, but he was in the hospital for something else. And then they realized that the more, more swelling was happening, it was occurring. And so I think maybe he didn't know officially that it was that. Um, but because, because his mom died from it and they knew yep. that they knew that yep. a swelling episode could occur. Um, and so he then carried it. And then when my sister and I turned into our teens, I think I was actually like 14 when I swelled okay. for the first time. Now, and, did your dad sit you down, like when you were young, like maybe eight or ten years old, and say, "Hey, Cass, you have something called hereditary angioedema"? No, actually, we we didn't know. We didn't know if we did have it. You <laughs> oh know? my god! Yeah. So, so your sister didn't know, you didn't know, and your dad didn't get it, carry official diagnosis yet. Well, he did, but at the time, they were still using like pretty simple steroids to treat it, which because we didn't know, we didn't know what to do at the time. We probably didn't have the weapons we have now. No, absolutely not. And so he would, when he would swell, you know, he, it would be like he banged his hand and then it would swell or it would trigger it or something. Or like, you know, he was his stuff, like maybe one of his organs was swollen or something. And we all knew that he was swell, he had swollen. And so it was like, it's something that we knew that we could have, but until I started, I, I think my foot swelled for the first time when I was 14. And I, I was, it was like my first lessons as a, I was a diver in high school. Oh, um, and I was a cheerleader for some reason. I was, I was, I was, I was, a cheer, I was actually, I, I was a gymnast and then I was a cheerleader. And then yeah. in high school, I became a diver because you okay. know, when you're a gymnast, you're good at flipping around. So you, okay. don't have, you don't have to put a lot into it okay. in order to do a, a front flip okay. off the board, you know? Sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I started diving my freshman year and I think it was like the summer before that. I, my foot swelled and I was like, oh, okay, I think this might be what it was. Oh, you know what it was? I'm going to be completely honest here. I think I started at birth control. And oh, that's all right. What, and that's what... It triggered it. It triggered it. Oh. And actually, I've never been able to con- like continue on birth control. I've never been like the hormonal birth control. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. I, never, I never was able to continue with hormonal birth control because every time I did, it would cause me to swell. So let me say two things for the, the medical part of this. So number one, I like how you just mentioned about your dad and having some pain in the abdomen and that many people think the swelling is only things you can see, your hands, your feet, your lips, but it happens inside and people get misdiagnosed for things like appendicitis or cholecystitis and it's hard to diagnose that. So it's interesting you know, you know that your dad presented that way, but it also for the listeners, there are certain drugs that trigger this. And you have to be very, very careful. You know what? And as I think yeah. about it, that I, yeah. I was not—I was not having—I was not doing anything at that point. I, I think I had my first episode before I even tried birth control, which I think may have been a couple years later. Sure. But I remember swelling for the first time in my, you know, that fourteen-year-old age range. Yeah. And then maybe sure. by the time I was fifteen and I tried it, the birth control—that's when I swelled yeah. again. Sure. And that's it may have triggered the second time or whatever, but I think we knew that I had it before that particular time. But then I know that I tried I tried birth control a couple different times 
and it caused me to swell each time. And just so everyone can imagine, we're not talking, oh, look at my ankle. It's a little swollen. I mean, you couldn't put your shoe on, correct? It was oh, yeah. significant, like, it's like, right? Like, it's like the lines in your hand kind of yeah. like aren't there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, so, yeah, through the years, I've swollen. You know, I've like my lip is swollen and or like my hand swells or my foot swells. I think the last time I swelled was like a year and a half ago and my hand had swelled, you know, was swollen and it started kind of going up my arm a little bit. And so um, I do have an EpiPen of, it's called Freer's Ear is the name of it. You know what? I love this. have to like clarify. So it's not per se an EpiPen. You know what I mean? It's your quick yes. relief pen because yes. it doesn't distinguish epinephrine. So right. for everyone who's listening here, there are very specific proteins that Cassandra, anyone with hereditary angioedema needs to take. One of them is going to be a pulled, what we call C1 esterase, little medical jargon, or something else that's called bradykinin. And these are going to be very important things that will be proteins that help her. And what scares me to scare everyone else out there is that, you know, Cass, if you go on an airplane and you swell, you don't have these drugs, you can die. If you go someplace, an ER is not familiar with what hereditary angioedema is, and they do load you up with steroids and epinephrine, you might die. How, knowing this, I mean, beyond being diligent about carrying these very specific medications, how do you live your life day to day? And do you panic when you don't have your meds on you? You know, it's interesting. Um, so my sister swells a lot more often than I do. In fact, her and my dad are like constantly, they, they do preventative medication where okay. I don't, I don't swell often enough to take it Every, all okay. you know every week or however long however many yeah. times per week sure. um, so it's kind of a preventative you know a preventative thing for them but it's not for me if I if I swell you know and and I decide okay it's getting to the point where I think it's getting worse then if I do that pen it'll stop the swelling it won't swell anymore but sometimes it takes a little while for it to go down um, but also you know I I do believe you know, when we were kind of touching upon this the other day, that genes in general, um, our emotional genes actually are transferred too. So, you know, I, I think my dad, when his mom died at such a young age, he really, you know, he's emotional about that. And sometimes when those emotional triggers almost cause us to swell too, which sounds weird, um, but I, it's like... The last few times I swelled, it was when I was randomly like with my family, you know, because I live in Southern California and they're still in Northern California. Right. And it was like, oh, I'm at, I'm at the lake with them. I haven't swollen, swollen in, you know, two years or whatever, or maybe a year. And now I'm with my family and I'm swelling. And we're joking about this for everyone. Yeah. Like, you know, stress can definitely be a huge trigger and nothing stresses most people out <laughs> than family. They just know how to push that button. Yeah. Time. Well, also, you know, I was like, you know, on the, on the wave runner too. And I'm like using my hand, but I've also done a lot of physical things throughout the time yeah. that don't cause me to swell. And so right, right, right. Like, you know, keeping the peace in your mind and, and, and I do a lot of meditation pretty daily. And I do um, know that, <laughs> you know, keeping like grounded and, and, and really working on yourself that way, I think is also beneficial. Now it's different for everyone. And I think your what you believe actually does have an effect on, on, you know, the amount of swelling or the frequency of swelling, or like, if you're really scared that you're going to, to, to swell, then that might actually 
become a reality too. But I am safe. I do have my my pen. You know, I bring it with me when I go places. But I, I'm not freaked out if I don't have it. You know, I just know like. You know, I've I've lived myself my life out, and I know that I'm not dying from a from that. <laughs> I'm going to die at, at old age. <laughs> well, this is why I love you so much, and I would say two things. So, one is that this is another reason why I think our our brands, our our personalities blend so well together, is because I mean, I always, always, always try to answer it with some kind of medical answer, and I love that you always open my mind to different things. And there's very few people that can do that. I can be very stubborn. But I definitely love the I definitely love the way you open my mind to other th- uh, things, and and you tell me stories, even though you see that look on my face, like, "Are you serious, Cass? Are you telling me this?" But you know, you you definitely strike a chord with me in a good way. But I wanted to actually make sure I wanted to mention a couple of things that I know your sister has it, and I want to tell everyone that um, your sister did me a huge favor a couple of years ago because I was on a. Well, I still am on the doctor's TV show and I do that, yeah. you know, many times per season. And um, she was so nice enough to lend her story about hereditary angioedema. And when I did the episode, which was really, people loved that episode. I'm still getting, you know, from the hereditary angioedema foundation about, oh my God, we know who she is and yeah. more awareness. But she sent a picture of her lip right. and it was like, it's scary. I didn't even know that your sister, you know? I know. It could get and, so- it can get so blown out. Like you yeah. wouldn't even recognize the person. Yes. And, yeah. you know, and I was going to say, you know, I mean, after the podcast, if you guys have it or girls haven't know what hereditary angioedema is, go to a Google and put it in and see what we're talking about. And you'd be, and then, and then look up Cassandra and, <laughs> and imagine like her with like swollen feet and just imagining these things. Yeah. But, actually the hereditary yeah. angioedema yeah. Uh, association mm-hmm. does a lot of work and they're the ones that, you know, when I was like, okay, I should finally like go see an allergy, uh, an, an allergy doctor. And um, they, they, they parlayed that so seamlessly for me. And so I, I do um, really love the people over there at the HAEA. Okay. So this is going to be like, a, I guess I'll call it the third segment, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to make sure we talk about the things, you know, see, I understand what you're going through now being a host of all these people. You know what I mean? You got to keep the, the flow going, what your topics are going to be. <laughs> so I'm going to do a little transition here because I know one of the passions that I wanted to bring up is probably what you're helping out with the most. And I want to let you tell the story, not me, that before this conversation, I asked if you could tell stuff about your sister, who I actually just love more than anything. She's always been a supporter of our brand and me and helping me out on TV. But she has a very interesting story where that led to her, unfortunately, doing a little time. And I'll let you do that. And from there, that's kind of... You know, that parlays from her experience with hereditary angioedema really, you know, to, to rewind a little bit. So when my sister, um, was 21, she got in some legal trouble. Um, she, she was long story short, she was in a situation where she defended herself against someone who attacked her and she stabbed them and they ended up dying and she got second degree murder for it and spent 10 years in prison, but was out for five years before she went in. Anyways, during that time that she was in prison, um, she, her symptoms got worse. It was a yeah. very highly stressful environment. Oh my God, can't imagine. To, going back to that stress, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Highly stressful. She ended up, you know, the one, the one, I, I would say that it, it went from one swelling a week to two and then maybe to three. 
And the medication, um, because she was incarcerated, had to be paid for by the state. And the state and it's was, not cheap. They were paying thirty thousand dollars a month for her medication. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that was a that was like a huge thing. And you know, we were trying to get we tried to get her a pardon because of the cost alone. Plus, she was had already been out serving five years, clean and yeah. sober, like not not a, th- a real threat to society. But that you know, that's a whole other. Thing in itself. <laughs> no, and I got to, and I'll tell everyone. But I remember, like, it was when you see Cassandra. I hope you look up Cassandra on the internet. She's like the nicest person in the whole world. You're like the all American friend that everyone wants to have, you know. And when you told me this story, and you didn't tell me the story right away, I was down the line. My my jaw dropped. I'm like, oh, oh my god! I remember what you said. You said. I never, I, I, was, I, said, I don't think I know anyone who knows someone that killed anyone. You, know? I was like, you said, I don't think I ever met anybody who knows anybody in prison. Yeah. And so, you know, of course my, I mean, my, the whole situation is sad, but I want everyone to know your sister's just amazing. She's, she got it's getting her master's right now. Right. No, she's, she's at UC Berkeley and she's yeah. finishing up her, her undergrad there. Yeah. She, she was able to get, um, she was able to get a grant. And so she did study, um, the correlation of the institutions used to, um, house mental, the mentally ill and specifically for women, because, yes. you know, most of the research that has been done has been primarily in the male population and yes. the male pr- prison population. And, you know, even though I feel like we all kind of know that, you know, at least like she's putting, she's putting her research to actually showing, you know, that that is the case. And so, you know, when she was inside, I started documenting women getting out back in 2013 and okay. so that was like, it was like the first, like one of her, it was actually her girlfriend at the time. It was her, one of her first girlfriends that she had in prison, but she had already been serving like maybe five or six years by then. And so I followed this woman out and I documented her and, and then I continued to do it. And I called the project after orange. And let's so, stop right there. I got to tell you, when you first told me about this project, the name alone is the coolest name in the whole world because my wife and I, we love watching uh, Orange is the New Black. You know yeah. what I mean? We're a little sad the show's done. And you told me this idea when the show was in its peak. And you're like, it's called After Orange. I'm like, how much money do you want to invest? I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> and so that's just the name. It was the greatest name. But I don't want to take away from like the, what you're trying to convey, which is I don't think myself or many people realize that focusing on women, focusing on being in prison the way they're treated. And it really made me feel like, sure, I'm only basing what I know on a Netflix TV show, but the stories I heard and the medical things they're doing, I really appreciated how you try to incorporate me to take what I know about screening and health and help a very specific population that does need help. So what did, yeah, what did you learn like, by seeing all these things? Well, what happened was I continued to document these women getting out. And I realized that the biggest problem, their biggest problem was that they didn't have a place to go. The biggest issue was the housing. So they would get out, you know, they get a bus card. They could probably, you know, if they don't have friends and family, which many people that get incarcerated or that serve time in Las Vegas, they don't have family around because they, you know, Las Vegas brings a lot of elements to, Sin City, and it brings a lot of types of people there. But they, most people are originally from other places, and so when they get trouble there, and they're now they're getting out, and they have to get their life together. A lot of those people don't have people there, you know. So that makes sense, kind of, right? One of those places that's very transient. And so what we start, started to see is, you know, I would pick this person up, and I'm like, 
you know, they're like, well, I think I should have money on this ATM card for what I was working. And, you know, but I don't, and there's no money on it. And so like, if I wasn't there picking them up and putting them on camera, you know, oh my it, God. Like, the, like some of them I had food, to like shelter, they wouldn't have the basics. then. no, I know. And so I, then I realized, okay, I would really like to open a house and continue to document this. And so I, there was a, an opportunity, our lawyer's best friend had a house and she was like, you know, my, my husband's a veteran and he had PTSD. So she was actually getting a bigger check than what she needed. And she was willing to invest in that. And so when we opened the house, um, you know, we started get trying to get women inside. And because the house was not licensed, we could never really get the women directly out of prison into the home. Um, and so I had to close the home and and all of that stuff. Um, which, you know, I was, I think we were open for like 10 months or so and we helped. And you had people in the house. I remember Yeah, I was like, like, are you going to film me? Are we doing our stuff? No, Raj, I'm in the house helping out and, you know, making it nicer and cleaner and getting resources. And I remember when you had to shut the house down, you were, I think, angry and sad at the same time and disappointed, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, w- I but was, I was. where are we right now? Is the house back? What, where are we right now? But now, now um, you know, all the work that had gone into kind of blowing the lid off of this topic and kind yep. of going like, hey, there's, there's no uh, licensed homes. And we started making really good relationships with parole and probations and the um, NDOC, which is the Nevada Department of Corrections, and okay. you know, trying to work with some of the people in the pol- in the political realm there that like were seeing what we were doing. Because of course, you know me, I didn't just open a house. Of course, <laughs> now I'm getting I'm getting the local CBS investigative reporter involved. That, that is so you. <laughs> and so, and because it was a big yeah. deal, nobody knew it what is. was going it on. Is. I was it like, is. that's it, that's at the end of the day, that's mm-hmm. not why I did it, but it was definitely a reason to bring awareness to the fact that we needed to remedy this. And so now like we had to, you know, my sister got ended up getting out and she really wanted to go back to California and live her life, which I totally understand. But at the time it was kind of like, Oh, we need to close this thing down. And you know, it, it just, it was very heart wrenching for me. Anyways, a couple of years have gone by. And, um, one of the, the women that I had originally documented out is on the show, a life after lockup. Okay. And I have recently repartnered together and we were like, you know what, let's work to open a house and like, let's, let's just do this thing and we'll blow the lid off of it again and we'll create another online community. And so I went out to Vegas to put her on camera just recently. And we realized that some of the other women that had been incarcerated when my sister was inside, they were creating a nonprofit inside while I had the house open. They actually continued, wow. they continued to do the work that I started and nice. we were like working together, like they were inside and I was inside, but we were, you know, they were like my sister's homies, you know? And so, <laughs> and so then I ended up like partnering with them and they're super organized. They've ta- you know, I was able to give them all the documents from my program. I created everything from scratch. And so now, um, we're very close to, you know, getting the, uh, the uh, we, we were close to getting the property that we were going to use, but that didn't, that kind of fell through, but our faith and our, um, you know, our passion for this is that right now we're in the process of trying to get the property and, the, and we have, um, a lot of help right now. And so we're, nice. passionate. we want to get this thing up and running. Um, and we're dedicated to seeing, getting a licensed facility up and running to get people directly out of prison. So, so people can visualize it. So the way I visualize it, there is literally going to be a house, multiple rooms, and I mean, the people who are going to be, have access to the house are people who need help. People who are incarcerated, they leave prison, jail, whatever terminology we use. And this gives them a place to stay. There, I'm sure there's going to be other 
things that they could get access to, like getting a job and education and health, but they're going to be in one place until they hit the point where they could go on their own. So this is going to be yeah, a nice and it place really to is get a program. It's That's a, it's great. A program. Yeah, it's I mean, a program. It's, this is great. Yeah, it's a program. It's behavior yeah. health, um, you know, oriented and certified. The the partners that we've that we're partnering up with are very organized, and they all have different unique abilities. And so one of them had been um, running a different home for quite some time. The other one had been um, like he's more on the financial side of things. So they're actually creating a business model out of it. So. You know, we're in the preliminary phases right now. And then my role is really to help them get the word out. And I'm using some of my older footage. And, you know, this is a passion project for me. But it's also, you know, I'm, I'm not really, um, you know, an owner in the business. I just want to help yeah. them get their business off the ground and do a show around it. So there's two pathways here. So I think there's one cool pathway, but none of it's cool being out, getting out, show all the stuff you're going through. But you're going to get some really, you're going to show to the, society, public, what happens literally after orange? I mean, here you go. Here's the money. You thought you had your ATM card. Here's what we gave you. And it's really going to be eye-opening. And that's one thing you're going to be documenting. Am I right? And that's going to be part of the visual part that, you know, that could be the next biggest hit that we see on a platform. Yeah. Well, right now we're, I'm, I'm continuing to work with Brittany and you know, we're, we're hopeful that we can get this thing off the ground, but also... Oh, yeah. I think um, it's going to be great. You know, I as mean... They, as, they, as they come out and they, you know, it's, it's very hard for some people, especially if they've been in more than even just a couple of years, some, some even just months at a time. It's like getting your bearings and kind of being able to be a part of a group that you can trust. And that's like half the battle. I mean, half so, the battle is yeah. like they get out... They don't know where to go, and so they end up downtown with all the drug with all the drug users. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now they're back on. It's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle, right? And now I'm going to tell you that you know I've asked you about this already. That you're going to see me on the show. You're going to produce because tell me if I'm wrong. That there are some medical issues there, right? And we oh, discussed 100%. it as friends all the time. Like yeah. when they're in prison, I mean, these are ones I just remember off the top of my head. Is that they're not up to date with their, their screening, their healthcare mm-hmm. maintenance. They're not screening for high blood pressure, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And when they leave, there are many, many medical as well as psychological things that are going on in these patients or in these people. People's yeah. the right word. Am I, am, am I right about that? What have you 100%, seen? 100%. Actually, they have a medical director already lined up for the facility. Oh, And there's okay. going to be a, tw- okay. a nurse 24-7 always there on at the facility as well. That's their goal and plan. Um, but in terms of you coming in and being an educator, you already know that's already been a part of it. <laughs> you know I want to do that you know, because... That was a part of the original <laughs> plan. That was like before I even opened the house. <laughs> because number one, I think we love things that are actually wholesome and good with, you know, and I think just helping people that go under the radar, that don't get a lot of attention that they need. And you made me aware of this, of the women, women's prison, what happens. It's, it's truly like amazing in a sad way what they go through. And I think where we started the conversation off is is just sleep. I'm sure that the post-traumatic stress they have, you know, going from one, you know, a a jail prison to, okay, here you are in a house. I mean, the insomnia, the stress. So I think that's one of the main things Big where time. we can just intervene with. It's just trying to get them 
sleeping again, you know? <laughs> right, right. No, I know. I, and you know, this isn't about like whether they did something wrong to get in there in the first place, or, you know, if we have as a society even owe that to that population, it's really not about that at all. It's just, there are a lot of women and, um, the nonprofit actually that they created was called women helping indigent people. Oh, the people that go through great. that. Yeah. The people that go through that cycle you know, a lot of them were raised in that cycle. They don't know anything else. And so it's really going like, hey, there is another way, you know, and, and we're coming from just, you know, a good Samaritan point of view, not just, you know, and, and a point of view of having someone incarcerated and knowing how the family is treated, you know, the person is treated when you go into the facility, you know, it's just the whole thing is, it could be disheartening in, in many ways. But also there's a lot of resources, there's a lot of education, you know, educating ourselves is so key and pivotal to growth and evolution in general. So, you know, that's what this is, this project is about is definitely the growth, you know? No, I love it. And you know, I got to tell you that I loved your last statement. It was a nice little closure statement before I go into my, my closing remarks, because that was very good. But I want, I definitely want to catch you off guard and say that I really enjoyed this. And you know, when I first told a couple of my friends about I guess I never realized how many people listen to podcasts, you know? And my friends are like, well, to do a good podcast, you may want to consider having like a, a co-pilot, you know what I mean? Kind of like, and the analogy they used was kind of like, you know how Howard Stern is such a big name in general. And she had the coolest, best co-pilot, which was Robin. Robin. Yeah. I love it. I got to tell you, Cassandra, if you're okay with it, I may have, you may have to be my Robin. A couple of times in these podcasts. I already am. I already am. <laughs> you already are, but I want to stay on the podcast just to let you know I am going to put you in as I like the banter. I love your stories. Um, is there anything else? Uh, like You always ask me this. Anything you want to, any shout outs or any websites or yeah, things I mean, you I wanted guess, to refer people to before I, I say goodbye? If, if you want to know more about what we've produced for the Beyond the Pearls oh. library... I love that we're both promoting each other. Beyondthepearls.net. But also, if you want to learn more about the After Orange Project, you could go to afterorange.org. And um, this was really fun. And I appreciate you having me on. Are you and kidding me? And you know, I wish we, we'll I wish be, there we'll was like a video to this. <laughs> I saw what you just, you did the Beyond the Pearls. You did the hand motion. And oh, it, 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 I that's love my it. favorite part of it. I love that. <laughs> so anyways, well, this is not going to be the last that we have this conversation. And thanks again. And I love that I get to interview you for once, which is great. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. All right. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Cassandra. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.